J.J. Cooper, Kyle Glazer here for another Baseball America playoff podcast brought to you by MyBookie. Kyle, is it's early in the morning on the West Coast as we record this, but I, I, before I say, you know, well, I'm glad that you're up, I'm going to throw it the other way, which is, is how long did it take you to fall asleep when you got back after being at that, that Padres Cardinals fiesta uh, of, of, uh, of home runs, of of cheering fans, even if they couldn't come into the stadium, cheering fans outside the stadium at, at Petco. What was that like, Kyle? Well, I actually came home and, and fell asleep relatively quickly because it was a long day. It was uh, mentally exhausting in a lot of ways, just long game, you know, constant back and forth, and then craziness at the end, getting the story out. I actually came back, ate something real quick, and uh, by the time I was done, I was actually pretty pretty wiped as opposed to still wired. It was it was crazy. And, uh, you know, just being a San Diego native and someone who, you know, I was a beat writer for a newspaper out here covering this franchise before joining BA and just knowing everything I know about this city, this team, and what they've been waiting for and how much the city has been hurting since the Chargers left. You know, it, it might seem ridiculous to some people outside, you know, seeing the city, you know, explode after a – win in the wild card series but i can't emphasize enough how much this team in this city has been really 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 trying to get here this is the first playoff win in petco park since it opened in 2004 um it was it was just an incredible comeback the way they did it this team has captured the city's hearts and this is a lot of excitement after years of waiting kind of coming out all at once it was it was kind of crazy you know in the gas lamp last night and you know I've, I've thought a lot this year about man if fans could be in the stands here just with the brand of baseball this team plays Peco Park would be rocking every night and, and last night I thought that so many times in certain bases loaded situations and then once the home run started going um, it was it was it was a pretty crazy and incredible atmosphere and you could feel the momentum shift in the ballpark without anyone there. Um, it was it was a pretty remarkable game, even though it was just, you know, hey, a one, one of a, a wild card game series. It, it was everything, you know, we talked about it after the first game. St. Louis won game one of the series. But one of the things that was notable is, is they jumped out and then this, this Padres lineup just offered reminder after reminder that, they're ferocious enough that there's not really any lead that you feel all that safe with. That's what we saw last night. And I, I'll also give credit to the Cardinals. <laughs> the Cardinals kept every time San Diego offered what seemed to be some sort of crushing blow, whether it was, you know, take your pick of, of Fernando Tatis Homer, take your pick of Will Myers Homer, take your pick of, there's a lot of stuff going on there. St. Louis would then respond again. And, kept going back and forth. I mean, that was just two teams wailing away on each other with very shaky pitching staffs at that point in the game. But, man, that was fun to watch. As a baseball fan, I, I love – again, I am not necessarily – this is not me endorsing 16-team playoffs going forward. But yesterday, to start yesterday, 
with the pitching perfection that was that Braves Red series. And then to, I know it didn't finish the Dodgers Brewers after that, but I'm going to call it, I'm on the East Coast, to finish the night with that Padres Cardinals slugfest. That was a perfect start and finish to a baseball day because you had two very different things going on. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to achieve greatness and have a great game, and we saw that yesterday. You know, you mentioned it. I, I had written about it in my game one story, and I mentioned it in the story that uh, should be going up shortly on baseballamerica.com. The Padres in game one got down 4 nothing, 14 pitches in. And the biggest thing was they never went away. They kept battling back. They kept chipping away. They had the go-ahead or tying runs on base in the sixth, seventh, and eighth innings of that game. And they just didn't quite get the big hit. And part of that, the Cardinals bullpen pitched great, but their defense, the Cardinals have been making sensational defensive plays all series. And even yesterday, early on, we saw some great plays in the infield. Tommy Edmond had a diving stop at third to turn what could have been a basis clearing double into a force out. And only one run came home. Um, Colton Wong made a play. Paul Goldschmidt made a play. Game one, it was the Cardinals outfielders. All three of them had a great play. There, there's been so many moments where you feel like the Padres were so close to breaking out. And the Cardinals, again, you give them credit, have played incredible defense. And finally, the Padres just simply started hitting the ball out of the park where the Cardinals couldn't catch it. And, you know, it was just so much fun seeing this explosion and you know they're capable of it and jace tingler talked about it last night after the game well myers talked about it once tatis got that first one it was like the pressure lifted the cloud lifted because it was starting to feel for the padres like no matter what they did no matter how good of an at bat they had no matter how hard they hit the ball the cardinals were coming up with it you're just like throw your hands up after a little bit but once tatis did that it just changed the dynamic. Machado following with the game tying, go ahead, Homer. Myers with a screamer off the Western Metal Supply Company building. And like you said, the Cardinals came back. After Tatis' second home run, it's 9 6 Padres. Cardinals immediately get two more to make it 9 8. This is a veteran team that's not going away, and that's what's made this series so fun. These are two teams, you know, the Cardinals. We, we talk about it, no matter how mortal they look in the regular season, they always seem to find another gear in the postseason. And we're seeing this. The Cardinals are playing good baseball, but both these offenses are, are slugging away right now. Both pitching staffs are running on fumes. I'm excited for game three. It, me too. So, okay, before we move on to the other games, I do want to ask you of game three. This was an all-hands-on-deck approach for the Padres to get through game two. I get it. I understand it completely. You, you don't get to game three. You don't have anything to worry about. You have to figure out how to win game two first. That said, they came into game two saying, I don't know what we're going to do for game three. We'll figure that out if we get there. And then they basically threw the kitchen sink, you know, some things that they dug up from the backyard. They threw everything pitching-wise at game two. Now, absolutely, it's a game three elimination. There are days off after it. Everyone's available. But for them and St. Louis, what do you see kind of looking ahead? What do you see kind of being their plans for game three here? Piece it together any which way you can. And interestingly, you know, 
the Padres obviously are, are in the slightly worse shape. Uh, they had to use eight pitchers in game one and nine in game two. But the Cardinals' bullpen is actually a little bit gassed as well. Neither Kwon Young Kim nor Adam Wainwright made it out of the fourth inning. The Cardinals have had to go deep into their bullpen both these games as well. I mean, you're going to be looking at a lot of guys, especially on the Padres, pitching for the third day in a row. The only pitchers they haven't used are Luis Patino and Dan Altavilla. And Altavilla, you you feel good about for an inning, but you don't want him going 2-3. That's not his game. And Luis Patino is a really talented young pitcher. Uh, he's also a 20-year-old rookie who hadn't pitched – he really had barely pitched above A-ball and has struggled in his major league call-ups this year. So, I mean, it, the question is, you know, Jace Tingler was asked this last night. He said, I have no idea what the plan is for game three. They were going to stay up late tonight and figure it out. We're going to see a lot of one inning, one inning, one inning, and guys running on fumes saying, I'm good to go. Matt Strom left yesterday favoring uh, – it looked like his lower body, potentially his knee, which had given him trouble in the past. That's a development to watch because he's so key for the Padres. But, yeah, no, this, this is going to be all hands on deck, a lot of guys pitching third, for a third day in a row. That, that's a thing to watch also from the standpoint. I don't think – again, MLB has to approve roster moves basically, during the, the playoffs. There are cases where they will approve for injury replacement. I do struggle to believe, let's say Matt Strom can't go. It's one thing to say you're going to replace him. I, I, you know, Carlos and I on the podcast yesterday speculated, you know, like, again, if they get to the next round, I, I went all Matt Moore 2011 and said Mackenzie Gore. He's on the taxi squad. For this game, though, I think if you're MLB, I think it is, no, this is the hand that you dealt yourself. You have to deal with it. It would not be something that replacing an injured player with a rested starter would seem to be um, equitable, I guess would be the way I put it. Yeah, I mean, Craig Stammen is is the guy who you know pitched in game one but didn't pitch in game two, and he can give you an inning. Uh, Austin Adams pitched in game two but not game one. Adrian Morhone, same. So, I mean, guys who can give you one inning, two innings potentially, but getting to Hey, not, Liam, Liam Hendricks showed yesterday, by the way, throwing 49 pitches and you know on one day doesn't mean you can't throw again the other. It's the playoffs, but um, you know, yeah, I mean, we... About. everyone, I, All these other guys, they, they throw back-to-back days. You know, Garrett Richards only threw a third of an inning yesterday, so you know, maybe you say, okay, send him out there and see if he can give you two or three, but yeah, the piecing together nine innings for, for both teams, by the way. Again, the Cardinals' bullpen is gas too. We could see a very high-scoring game three if you thought game two I, was high-scoring. I'm only halfway being facetious when I pointed out last night on Twitter that's like, by the way, the Padres have Jake Cronenworth. Like, if you get desperate in this game, I, and when I say desperate, I mean it would have to be like we get to the, the, the Braves-Reds game one of this series. You get to the 11th. If you get to the 11th in this game, you would seriously have to think about, wait a second, we have a guy, I know he hasn't done it this year, but we have a guy who's 92-94 and can touch a six with a slider who's pitched in professional games. Again, I, I, I would welcome the wackiness that would come from an extra inning game tonight with two teams that, as you said, it's not just San Diego. I mean, the, the, the difference that St. Louis has is, is that St. Louis has starting, you know, has a, the, the, the Padres don't even have a starting pitcher for tonight. Like, that's the difference. But the, the Cardinals threw everyone they had essentially almost at last night as well. 
you know, they, they had Reyes didn't pitch. There were guys who didn't throw yesterday, but they also had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven relievers go yesterday on top of Wainwright. And that's where you're right. Having Jack Flaherty, that's going to make the biggest difference in the world. Now Flaherty did not pitch very well this year. He had an ERA just under five. Um, We have to see if, if, the Jack Flaherty that we saw in 2019 comes out. The Cardinals are, are they're already in a bit of an advantageous position just because they have that true starter starting pitcher available. Um, but again, if it's another outing where, you know, he doesn't get out of the fourth as neither Kwon Young Kim nor Adam Wainwright had been able to against this Padres offense. And both of them have been better pitchers than Flaherty has this season. It's not a favorable position for the Cardinals to be in. So there's a whole lot of ways this can go. Uh, I'm expecting a slugfest, but if Jack Flaherty can come out and refine the form that made him you know, one of baseball's best pitchers a year ago, then the Cardinals are going to be sitting very, very pretty, no doubt. That, that actually is a perfect segue to uh, a game that we did have a game three on uh, Thursday. I guess yesterday's Thursday. Oh, it's hard to keep track. But yesterday on Thursday, we had a game three where both teams did throw pretty much everyone at it. But before we do that, we do have a quick message. It's fall, and at my bookie, that can mean only one thing. It's winning season. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means free bets, super contests, survivor, and more. At my bookie, winning season is all about your chance to win big. You can bet the Major League Baseball playoffs. You can bet the NBA playoffs. UFC, NFL, college football, the craziest sports fall of your lifetime is here. It's simple. Make your picks, win big, collect your cash. Invest in your intuition. Select from hundreds of futures bets where you can bet games in real time with MyBookie's live betting. Put that big brain of yours to good use. Use promo code BASEBALLAMERICA. That's one word, BASEBALLAMERICA, and double your first deposit. New players get up to $1,000 in free play designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. Thousands of cross-sports wagers, props, and parlays await. Sign up now to bet with the best and celebrate your victory. Your winning season begins today, only at MyBookie. And we're back. Yeah, so yesterday, Kyle, before we had the slugfest in in San Diego, we had the White Sox A's playing a must-win game. And in that game, talking about maybe a little foreshadowing for what we're going to see, you know, today, in that game, you had Dane Dunning go out for Chicago. And pretty much, I, as he took the mound to start the game, Garrett Crochet pretty much started getting loose. And here it was after essentially Dunning faced uh, four batters. In comes Crochet. Then Crochet gets injured, basically uh, dooming the, 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 the best of uh, the White Sox plans. And we, we saw a cavalcade of relievers for both teams. No pitcher in that game threw two innings for either team, which is in a game three. This is not, this is not game seven of the 91 World Series where Jack Morris and John Spoltz say, first one to tap out loses this game. This is the exact opposite of that. But, but we had, uh, you know, uh, a, a pretty thrilling game, nonetheless. And I just thought, what you know, what stood out to you? The the A's advance, six four win over the White Sox. Much as I said, you know, with Toronto, I could say the same thing here with Chicago. I feel like that this is okay. 
we took another step this year. We're a much better team. And this team, the brightest days are here ahead. But what stood out to you from the game as the A's knock off the White Sox? Yeah, so first and foremost, the White Sox will be back. This is the start, not the end. This is a really, really good team. They'll be back. But I think for me, the biggest thing was the A's. You know, we saw the bullpen strengths really come out here. The White Sox led this game 3 nothing, But as you mentioned, they ran out of pitchers. And even though they've had some good bullpen performances this year, we saw the A's jump. They got to, you know, they got to Cody Horror. They got to Matt Foster. They got to Marshall. They got to Rodon. When it got into the meat of the game, those middle innings, the A's bullpen was able to sh- shut down the White Sox. You know, y- Yusmero Petit got hit a little bit. Uh, Frankie Montas gave up a run, but got to Wendell Kintravino, Diekman, Soria Hendricks, and they walked a tightrope at times. The White Sox had the bases loaded. They had some opportunities. Um, but the A's bullpen, as they have all year, came up big, held them down, gave the offense time to, to kind of get back into this game. And they did. And again, I think for the A's, this is this has kind of been the formula. This has not been a, a juggernaut offense by any stretch. They've had some uh, some some issues with the starting rotation, but they've gotten some big hits and big moments. Their bullpen has kept them alive. And it's a formula that's worked for them. And it really is, you know, kind of remarkable to see that this was their first victory in a winner-take-all game since the 1973 World Series. This is a team that you know, once they got down 3 0, it was really funny. All my uh, friends and, and fellow writers who I follow on Twitter who are Bay Area natives, you know, you could f- hear their heart palpitations through the screen. And even when they were up 6 4 and the White Sox kept coming and kept get, getting guys in scoring position, uh, the nerves were very, very, very high amongst Bay Area natives. But this A's bullpen got the job done as they have all year. And that's their winning formula. It, it is, and uh, congrats to the A's. But as you said, with the White Sox, I absolutely feel like that this is, you know, one of those where you say, ah, you'll be back. I, I can't say that the game will probably spend the least time on because it was the, the least to debate, the least to analyze. The Dodgers advance as they, you know, the, the best team in baseball does make it out of the first round, having knocked off the worst team that made the playoffs, arguably. Brandon Woodruff pitched really well in this game for the, you know, I I think you have to give him a lot of credit, but this is an utterly relentless Dodgers offense. And as someone who, you know, if you love baseball, it's, it is very exciting to see Clayton Kershaw who last year, you know, there was some injuries, but last year you had that fear one of the best pitchers of his generation may be starting to head down the the road that everyone succumbs to it you know age cap you know catches up to all of us at some point Clayton Kershaw is I you know that 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 was not the case that is not the case this year nearly as much and that was not the case last night Clayton Kershaw Clayton Kershaw looked great and really was in control again we're talking about a day where we had two games where starting pitchers were you know I'm out of here Clayton Kershaw, Brandon Woodruff matched up a good battle, and but the, the the better team won. Dodgers three, Brewers zero. Yeah, I mean this one was was never in doubt. Again, as much as you can be sure of a three game series, this was a as we talked about in the preseason podcast, a team that backed into the playoffs and frankly was just not a good team facing the best team in baseball. In some ways, the fact that it was four to two and three nothing 
it's kind of a testament to the Brewers for being able to keep it that close. But Clayton Kershaw was one of the best pitchers in baseball again this year. His ERA was 2-1-6, and that was even inflated by one bad outing the rest of his games. He was dominant for the most part. This is still an elite pitcher. It's just a matter of which guy you're going to get in the postseason. And we've seen him have some dominant postseason starts before. You go back to his World Series game one start in 2017, he was dominant against the Astros. Seven innings, one run, 11 punch outs. He pitched really, really well in the 2018 NLCS. He had a great start in game five. He's had some great postseason starts before. He's capable of this. It's just there's been so many others that have not gone well that it kind of sticks in everyone's memory. But the Dodgers, again, they're the best team in baseball. Clayton Kershaw is a big part of that. Walker Bueller has had issues with blisters all year. Kershaw has been this team's ace. And if they can get this version of Clayton Kershaw throughout the playoffs, they're going to be very, very, very hard to beat. I know that's not exactly the hardest hitting analysis in the world, but it it just shows you Clayton Kershaw is still capable of taking over a game dominating a game and make you f- making you feel helpless as an opponent. The other thing I'll say with that, though, is, is that this Dodgers team, even in these no-off days, you know, postseason, during, ga- during series, I should say, until we get to the World Series, even with that, the fact that I don't think that this team will have to, as they all too often have had to in the past, say, hey, Clayton, we need you to go on short rest and see what you can do. Not having to do that which I don't see why they would need to, not having to do that, asking him to pitch one time every five days, I think puts them in a much better position to get good Clayton Kershaw throughout this playoffs rather than as too often happened for this Dodgers team in the past where it was like, we need you to go again. And that's where sometimes some of this, oh, Clayton Kershaw doesn't perform a ball in the playoffs. Well, he's not performing in the same role that he had during the regular season. 100%. I think back to, I think it was – 2014, when it was game game four, who we going? Clayton Kershaw, or Ricky Nolasco. They went Clayton Kershaw, and it didn't go well. I mean, that's that's been the story when he's had to go on short rest, like the rest of the pitchers in Major League Baseball. It most of the time doesn't go well unless your name is Madison Bumgarner. So, you're right. As I've talked about a lot, if the Dodgers deploy their very talented pitching staff the way they should and don't get fancy, they'll be fine. So. The first game that we had yesterday was also, I, I would say, I, I would say that series. I'm probably not that you're not going to think this way if you're a Cincinnati Reds fan, but that series overall was was pretty much of a classic for a best of three wild card round series. Great pitching from both teams. Uh, the Braves do end up winning both games. They win the the first one in 13, and then they they blow it open late yesterday, five nothing. But that's Five nothing does not really reflect how taut that game was for the majority of the game, but I just got to talk about Ian Anderson coming on the day. Max Fried doing this in Game One, not a whole lot of surprise. Max Fried, if he hadn't you know missed a little bit of time there, I think would have factored into the uh, the NL Cy Young race. Not going to do so now, I don't think, because of Bauer and others who pitched more, but. Freed was great. That's not a shock. Freed has very much ascended to the number one role for the Braves now that Mike Soroka's is out. Ian Anderson going out, and I guess we can't say that was a shock either because Ian Anderson's pretty much been like this for the majority of his very, very brief MLB career so far. But Ian Anderson was in 
I, I can't say in complete control because he did have a, a couple of innings where he worked through some some traffic. But, man, I love watching Ian Anderson pitch. I, we were talking about this. I've been talking about this for a while. Watching him in the minors, his command is the thing that always stands up. This is one of those useful lessons. You can look at – if you say, oh, he doesn't have great command, look, he walked three point you know, something per nine, 3.6, 3.7 per nine, walks per nine throughout his uh, minor league you know, career – and my response is, you're not watching the games. Ian Anderson may walk a batter every now and then, but what stands out is, and we saw it again in this game, he locates fastballs with purpose. He locates to the edges of the zone. He often, when he gets to two strikes, he'll throw a fastball just off the zone in a place where you can't really do a whole lot of damage with it. You could take it, and you can get you know a ball, or you can swing at it, and you're probably going to miss it, or if not, you're going to get weak contact. It's not a place where you can really drive it. He has that changeup. He has a decent, a good enough breaking ball. But, man, I really enjoy watching him pitch. And I just thought, uh, you know, again, this, this Braves lineup is good enough that it, we, I feel like this is one where our preview did work out pretty well. Maybe not in the New York-Cleveland series, but our preview worked out pretty well. We talked about how Cincinnati is a home run-based team, and but their power is such that – it doesn't play as well in a less offensive ballpark. The Braves are a home run based team, but this power is such that the power you get for the Marcelo Zunas at all, there is not parks that contain it. Kind of, I guess we could say the same with a Giancarlo Stanton and an Aaron judge and guys like that in the Yankee series. That's what kind of felt like at the end of the day, it's still a success for the Reds that they did make the playoffs. It's been quite a while, but, Atlanta looked like the better team and Atlanta winning this in two games makes a lot of sense for them because they have two aces and they got their job done. Yeah. And it's really critical. We've talked about, you know, the Braves lack of starting pitching depth, but for Max Fried to go out and do what he did matching zero with Trevor Bauer was, was just awesome to watch. And then Ian Anderson, I mean, this guy didn't come up until later in the year and was great from the outset. His first postseason start, we see so many rookies. The moment overwhelms them. Not just rookies, young, young pitchers in general, second-year second, second year guys, third-year guys. He went out there, cool as a cucumber, and just went to work. And it was pretty spectacular to watch. And it's funny. As this was happening, I was actually thinking back to uh, – I saw Ian Anderson for the first time yep. in Danville in 2016, right after he'd been drafted. At the time, he was this tall, super skinny right-hander – you know, who was sitting 92, touched a 96, and, and you saw the potential. You saw the talent. It's just there's so many guys like this. You just you don't know how it's going to go. Is he going to stay healthy? Is he going to fill out? But you just see this raw ball of clay, and, and you're intrigued by it. And, you know, seeing him now, you know, he's, he's bulked up a ton. He's a lot stronger. Seeing the finesse he pitches with, seeing the power he pitches with, it's just really cool. And I think you really do have to tip your cap to – the Braves, they have successfully developed a lot of high school pitchers, which as we've talked about at Baseball America is probably the hardest thing to do. And they've done it and they didn't baby these guys. You know, you go back, they let Ian Anderson go out and throw 83 innings his first full year, 120 his next full year, bumped him up to one third of the year after. Mike Soroka, same deal. You know, they brought him in and let him go 143, 152, 174. I mean, they've done a really good job of saying, okay, we need to build durable starting pitchers. How do we do that without breaking them? 
a lot of teams haven't figured that out and the Braves did it successfully. You know, Max Fried again, came back off Tommy John's surgery. They brought him back, let him go 103. He's had some other injuries, but they built him back up and they got him into a position to be durable. The Braves pitching development here has done a lot of things a lot of other teams try to do and have not figured out how to do. And they deserve credit for putting these pitchers in the position to succeed. And then these pitchers deserve all the credit in the world for going out and dominating at the highest level of the world. The 2016 first round high school pitchers, Ian Anderson, the Braves took at three, although he also made less money than two pitchers who were drafted after him, high school pitchers. Riley Pint, we don't need to go further about that. Braxton Garrett, who has bounced back from injury himself, but, you know, is Matt Manning, Jay Groom, Forrest Whitley, Cole Reagans. Cole Reagans is under 100 career innings right now, the uh, Rangers' first-round pick. You go to the supplemental first, Joey Wentz, who the Braves drafted and then have traded, and then you go to the second round, Kevin Gowdy, who, again, has barely pitched a whole lot at all right yet. Kyle Muller, another Brave, Alex Spees, Travis McGregor. There are other players there that you could say so far qualify as you know looking like they will be success stories braxton garrett matt manning there are others who we could say the jury is still far from out on jay groom has had tj there we don't know yet i mean he hasn't pitched enough for us to know but what is notable and that comes a year after you you rewind the clock just one year before that and the year before that the high school pitchers taken in the first round Colby Allard of the Braves, who now was traded, but is pitching in the big leagues for the Rangers. Brady Aiken, who basically washed out in Class A. Ash Russell, who never reached Class A. Bo Burrows, who looks like he could be a useful, probably reliever for the Tigers. Mike Nickerak, who has effectively, you know, has had many injuries and there, there is no resume yet. Mike Soroka, who is one of the best, you know, he has the Achilles injury this year, but has been one of the best young pitchers in the National League. And then Nolan Watson, also of the, uh, the Royals, who has not been effective. Tristan McKenzie was taken in the supplemental first round that year. That's another one that looks like a success. Cleveland, another team that has done a good job of developing young pitchers. But it is notable, as you said, this is not something where Atlanta did this one year. Atlanta has done this pretty consistently with a very volatile, very difficult demographic for most, for most teams. Now, I will note, all the, almost all the people who are involved in drafting and you know, these high school pitchers for the Braves are not – I mean, that, that's the previous regime, I would say, in many ways. You know, the Braves have a new scouting director, but they have, in many ways, a lot of new pitching development people that they had from what they had back then. But that said – Utter credit, if, you, if Ian Anderson does not develop into what he has this year, this Braves team is very likely not in the position that they are right now, moving on to the second round of the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely not. Again, you just everyone involved, this was an organizational success. And, and again, I look even again at Max Fried, who was not drafted by the Braves, he was drafted by the Padres. In a lot of ways, they kind of had to build him back up from scratch. He had Tommy John surgery when they got him back. They sent him out to low class A. I mean, it was it was bottom up. So again, just top to bottom. It's been so impressive. And for the Braves now, you have to like the position they're in. Going into the NLDS, they're going to have both these two starters rested, ready to go, games one and two potentially. And they didn't have to dive too deep into their starting staff, which we knew could be 
a bit of a risk for them. So um, this not only was it just really cool to see these young pitchers go out and dominate like they did for the Braves 2020 playoff run, this is what they needed to have happen. And they're in great, great shape right now. Okay. I will push back on that a little bit because they were the first round series. I felt like sets up really well for them because they have these two really good pitchers to front their rotation. I look at, I don't know what they're, we're talking about the Padres. Again, the Padres, if the Padres make it through this, I don't know what the Padres do in the next round where you say, hey, by the way, this is the best of five and we're going to play them one after another after another. You're, and by the way, you know, you're, and we don't really have the, the, the likelihood of weather, you know, interrupting this and giving their, this kind of an unplanned off day or whatever. With that being the case, you know, because they're playing in Texas, there's going to be a dome. I mean, it's not going to be a, you know, there's not going to be weather. Well, with that being the case, I don't know what Atlanta, they're going to be counting on Kyle Wright to pitch at the upper end of what Kyle Wright showed he could do in 2020, which was better late in the season than it was earlier. If they get to game four and they get to game five, I, I get, I'm, I'm assuming Bex Freed comes back in a game five, but their lack of starting pitching depth, the same that we're going to see with San Diego, that's the things where we get to this next round, this is going to be really tricky for them, I think. Oh, there's no question. That wasn't meant to say that, oh, they're looking, you know, they're going to go win the World Series. Now, I just meant in terms of the possibilities, okay, if Freed and Anderson, you know, struggled a little bit and they had to go deep into the bullpen and they had to go to a game three and, you know, that would have been worst case scenario for the Braves because their pitching depth was already a little short. The fact that they just took care of business real fast, real quick, no problem, it sets them up better going into the next round. That was the point I was trying to make. I'll throw something crazy out. I'm just getting way ahead of myself here. If I'm the Braves, I would space out Max Fried and Ian Anderson in the next round of the playoffs. I would not say, I know that they are your one and two, and I know ideally you win game one, you win game two, and then you feel pretty good about your chances to win one of the next three. I get all that, but I would, if I'm them, I would want Kyle Wright at game two and Ian Anderson at game three. The reason being, the two guys that you feel confident are going to give you deep games are Max Fried and Ian Anderson. I want to space it out so that I know that two's, that game two is going to be more of a bullpen game. I want to then have hopefully less bullpen I have to use in game three, which means in game four, which is going to be a literal bullpen game, you have those guys, some of those guys have had a day off. How all of these teams are going to line up their rotation, I think it's going to be one of the interesting subplots of the, of the division series. You talk about the Padres, a lot of it's going to depend on if Denelson, Lamette, and Mike Clevenger are healthy enough to be on the roster. But for all these teams, do you start with, you know, do you keep it as your, your game three or game four starter and then roll it back over to your one and two starters in games, you know, two, three, or three, four? Every team's going to have some decisions to make what the best way to approach this is. And just because we're in such uncharted territory here, again, I'm going to be fascinated to see what teams do and how they each approach this individually. It's going to be fun. We're going to have another fun day today, although we have less baseball today. I'm, I'm, yesterday was more enjoyable from that standpoint for me because we had that first game and I could lock in on it. And then we had the second game and could lock in on it. And we had the third game, could lock in on it. And, uh, okay, I, if you're not a Dodgers or a Brewers fan, 
you may have had it on in a second screen, but if you tell me that you were as just a baseball fan paying attention to that Dodgers Brewers game in the final innings of that Padres Cardinals game, I'm, I'm not believing you, but we're going to have a fun one today. We could have one more game coming on uh, Saturday Cubs Marlins, depending on how that works out today. But and then we roll on. We'll be next week. We'll be talking. We'll be uh, back on uh, Monday to talk about uh, NLDS, ALDS playoff preview. Anything else that stands out to you that you're looking for today or anything, Kyle? Sixth over is Darvish. And that Marlins Cubs series is, is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, first playoff start for Sixto, who has been electric this year. Um, you know, Darvish has had some difficulties in the postseason. Uh, six career postseason games, 5-8-1 ERA, Cubs playing for their season. It's going to be a fun one. I'm looking forward to this morning game. I, I am too. It's an afternoon game for me, but you know, that uh, it, it's, uh, it is also what I'm looking forward to. So we are through week one of the uh, playoff pause. We'll be back to do this again next week. We hope you enjoy all the games today and, and, and all the game, you know, uh, we'll be diving into all the games next week as well. So for Kyle Glazer, I'm JJ Cooper here on the Baseball America Playoff Podcast brought to you by my bookie. So long, everybody. Mm-hmm.